You are clearly one of the world's most successful technology investors and one of the world's most successful businessmen. Let me start by asking you about a fund that you are now raising, the Vision Fund. It's supposed to be a fund of $100 billion? Yes. Now, that would be the biggest fund ever raised. So when you told people you were going to raise a $100 billion fund, did they tell you you were a little crazy? Well, some people say. You had a meeting with a man who was the deputy crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who's now the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. As I understand the story, you went in, and in one hour, you convinced him to invest $45 billion. No, 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 it's not true. Okay. $45 $45 billion. Okay, sorry. Okay, I apologize. In other words, if you had had... One one, one billion per minute. What could you have said that was that persuasion to get $45 billion in one meeting? Well, actually, uh, I said, you came to Tokyo as the first time. I want to I wanna give you a gift. I want to give you a, 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 a gift, the Tokyo gift, a trillion dollar gift. And he opened up his eyes and said, okay, <laughs> now, now, now. Interesting. All right. <laughs> so I woke up him and said, here's how we can give you a, I can give you a trillion dollar gift. You invest $100 billion to my fun. I give you a trillion. But what is it that you told people? What was the vision that you actually gave them? So, one vision, which is singularity. Singularity is the concept that the computing power, computers, artificial intelligence, surpass mankind's brains. The singularity is the concept. The word means that is the point at which a computer becomes smarter than a human brain. Yes. Today, already, computer is smarter than mankind for chess or go or weather forecast. To some expert systems, computer is already smarter. But in 30 years, most of the subject that we are thinking, they will be smarter than us. That's my view. 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 That's my Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode seven of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan here with Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. Uh, So in these last couple months of the podcast, we've been running through some of the biggest issues and biggest characters uh, in the world of technology and capitalism, you know, always punching up, taking shots at the top. That's the TMK ethos. Um, So, but but today, today, it's finally time. Formally introduce Uh y'all to the king of kings, into TMK, uh, TMK Cannon, into the pantheon of parasites and villains who are seeking to uh-huh. control the world. That's right, baby. We're talking SoftBank and its founder, Masayoshi Son. <laughs> An amazing... This man is... Um, you know, Dune trailer just came out. Uh, 
so we can liken him to like the giant fucking god emperor of uh, of Dune, but he's the god emperor of capital. Just like a giant sandworm that's going to destroy everything. Gotta get that spice. Eventually. Gotta get that spice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Where should, where should we start? Should we start with like the recent shenanigans that he's been up to? Should we like do a, uh, an intro for anyone who may not be yeah, let's do a quick, aware of him? Let's do a quick intro on SoftBank and on its uh, enigmatic founder, Masayoshi's son. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do a quick kind of intro on that just in case people are unaware. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, they, they, we can get into this shenanigans uh, of, the, of, of them being being the the Nasdaq well, as they've been called, you right. know, ca- causing this. Uh, I love it. The, people are calling it a melt up. <laughs> it's like it's like all like the, like the tech sector just completely rallied and like stock prices just fucking shot up. Um, and I, I love that people are calling it a, a melt up because it's just inevitable that this is like you know th- this is like the like the like the tech sector, um, the stock exchange just took like a big ass fat rail of coke and it's right, feeling right. good <laughs> oh it's talking yeah, about all the yep. businesses it's gonna start it's all it's, it's dancing pitching, it's grooving but then that come and, down and for, and for people listening that we're talking about how for the last few weeks months really there's been like a consistent rally in the stock market but specifically in the tech sector and the revelation that uh, last week that it was actually the result of Masayoshi Son, the CEO of SoftBank, and a team of investment bankers who tr- who he you know who listened to him and execute his demands, uh, buying four billion dollars worth of options, which is basically a contract that gives you the right to purchase or sell a stock at a certain price. So buying four million four billion of those. Uh, to inflate uh, holdings that they already had in the public and the public uh, stock market, so that they could then exit them. And then we entered; we've entered like a week, I think, now of tech market sell-offs that have been sparked by his exit that happened, uh, both of the options and of the of positions that he had in the uh, stock market. Also, uh, but we'll we'll get to all that. I think the the core thing to take away is that. You know, Masayoshi's son is um, the this you know dude who's been really keen on the internet and the digital world since the uh, '80s, since he made SoftBank in 1983, um, and you know since then he's trying to buy as much as possible infrastructure or companies that are invested in the infrastructure of digital uh e-commerce yeah it's a massive conglomerate they own right businesses across like every sector just like a mm-hmm. massive holding company to to rise up sun took on what was then japan's a telecom monopoly uh by offering something that allowed you to choose your own prices um competing with monopoly rents because they were a little too high uh, at that point right uh then he went on to get controlling stakes in internet companies search companies in uh navigations he tried to engage in like a massive failed project or to an extent failed to like establish telecommunications and fiber optic lines across the atlantic and pacific oceans um you know bought up multiple uh, phone and mobile communications units got like exclusive deals for iPhone. Like he's been 
his main gambit has been if I can get myself in the center of the digital world, whether it's by communications or commerce, I can then grow as the rest of that sector and economic space and market grows. Yeah, right? and, and, and like and, any of mm-hmm. these entrepreneurs, you know, they all have these like fabled backstories. And and, right. and his story of how he got into computers was that um, he he when he was like sixteen, he read this he read this book, this business book by the head of McDonald's Japan, uh, and found uh-huh. it like super interesting, and was like, "Oh, this guy's a really smart guy. I'm gonna get you know life advice from him." And you know, he he called the the head office of McDonald's Japan a hundred times until this guy finally uh-huh. picked up. Uh, and 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 he says that the reason he got into computers is because uh, the, you know this guy McDonald's, yeah, because Mc. <laughs> The head of McDonald's in Japan told him, you know, computers are the next, that's, that, that's the industry you want to get into. And he was like, all right, I'm going to get into computers because this, you know, this businessman I look up to when I was 16 told me to get into computers. And I'm also not going to notice the fact that he's not in computers, but it's, you know, it's okay. It's, it worked out. It worked out well for him, right? Uh, he, made, he made millions, you know, pretty quickly. Um, doing something which he does for the rest of his life, right, where he invents a thing that has some value. He made an electronic computer, and then he flipped all that money. He flipped all that money by um, buying a bunch of... He, import, he imported a bunch of ba- uh, Space Invaders games and then put them in dorms, restaurants, any business or space that would take them and charged people you know, uh, to use them. And then he made like another, what, a million and a half off of that? And so, he, so he used all that money to, to go back to Japan. Um, or he's, he's know, the type of guy that like he's the type of guy that if he were around now, he'd be like a serial Kickstarter. Um, uh-huh. You know, he'd be like constantly uh-huh. on Kickstarter. But because he was doing this in like the eighties. Uh, you know, the, the market was not as crowded. And so people were like, all right, sure. Like, yeah, I'll give you a couple million dollars for putting Space Invader in dormitories. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, at the at his peak in, you know, the dot-com bubble, you know, this is after Sun has spent the next 10 to 15 years buying large internet companies, publishing companies, infrastructure, electronic comms, he owns about a third of the internet at that point, either the companies that are involved in it or the in- literal infrastructure, right? And he is leveraging stocks that he has or trying or mo- making moves to try to leverage stock that he has for, for access to more capital to buy more investments and to buy up more and more and more companies. He's doing the same thing that he does now, a strategy which becomes familiar, which is investing in 100, 1,000 companies on the idea that they just need a serious infusion of capital to rapidly grow and whether they live or die doesn't really matter because he'll get that. That, You know, the the basic VC model, the basic VC idea, right? And it works until it doesn't, right? (laughs) When the dot-com bubble crashes, at the time of the dot-com bubble for like a few days, he's the richest man alive. He's only, he's like a hundred billion or worth a hundred billion at some point you know, richer than everybody else. And then he loses it all, loses almost all his money. And I, I think he lost $70 billion yeah, when the bubble burst. <laughs> who, who amongst us did not lose $70 billion when the dot-com bubble burst, all right? I mean... Right. And that loss is huge, right? Because it ends up 
totally changing his investment strategy going forward. You know, at that point, he's using a lot of his own money. He's not using a lot of the typical legal shenanigans to try to create funds or, or vehicles that limit your liability. What you know, foolish and so foolishness. from that, right? <laughs> and <laughs> trying to go lesson, at it all straight and above lesson. board with his own money. Right. No, 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 <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> you can't build the future without crushing a few eggs, right? And that's where we get into. Uh, the vision fund, right? The vision fund, you fast forward, you know, almost two decades. Uh, the vision fund is or emerges, right, as an offering, a mega fund offering where he goes to investors and he tells them, I'm building $100 billion of capital. We're going to invest it in the most advanced cutting edge of tech. And then you're going to get a return. That's going to be incredible to some investors. Like, as oh. you heard in the cold open, he tells oh. them he'll get them a trillion dollars. Yeah, right? he, went, he went to some investors, but particularly he went to um, one investor. <laughs> really. Right, right. <laughs> and he went to MBS, right? And he tells MBS, uh, give me a hundred billion. I'll give you uh, a trillion, right? MBS gives him 45 billion, you know? Uh, so not a total success, but from that, 45 billion um he then you know through tricks and shenanigans is able to get another 55 and it's important well 53 and it's important to like look at the structure i think of the vision fund real quick before we jump off on it and you know the vision fund i think you know at this point or at that point was not quite 100 uh 100 billion i think it was what like a, a 98 97 billion dollars 45 billion is of course um gonna be from the mbs the crown prince of saudi arabia right but um softbank goes to investors and it tells them look um we're gonna put up our own money too so that you can feel comfortable or confident that we have some skin in the game we're gonna put in 28 billion dollars right but when you look at the books, they didn't actually put up $28 billion. What they ended up putting, right, is more or less $28 billion worth of previous investments that the company had already made, right? So what just it had little, done is it just had a little put, double counting. <laughs> right, yeah. So it put up, you know, some of its, uh, some of the money, some of the investments it had, or the sh- uh, stocks that it had in Uber, uh, put up some of the stocks that it had in ARM, right? And then it also uh, did a little trick where it was then able to say, look, okay, we're also going to do a split of who owns equity and who owns debt, right? External investors. You'll have 62% of the, percent of the debt and about 38% of the equity for every billion that you put in, right? So SoftBank ends up having, because of that fake 28% promise, the majority of the equity, right? We're owning the majority of the equity and leaving a lot of the debt onto the external investors, right? <laughs> and these external investors are two large group, or, you know, two sort of groups, right? One group is the Gulf so we have MBS who does 45 billion, right? But then you have another 15 billion that comes from Abu Dhabi and their vision fund, or not their vision fund, their um, 
Sovereign Wealth Fund, uh, uh, the move, the, what is it, Mubadala Investment Company, mm-hmm. and you know, that together this is, I mean, again, sixty billion of the seventy-two billion that other investors are supposed to put up. The rest of it comes, you know, there's uh, about five billion that came from large tech companies that were looking for insight into. Uh, stuff that would happen later on in development, right? Apple, Qualcomm, Foxconn, Sharp, who actually was the uh, company that was responsible for making Masayoshi Son a millionaire, right? Because he sold them the uh, electronic uh, dictionary. And so now you, you look at the Vision Fund, right? And you see that the vast majority of it, the 28%, the vast majority of it is external investors have all, or majority of the debt, right? And the vision fund is soft banks to control the, uh, to control the investment of, right? Now, SoftBank attracts investment by offering a 7% re- um, uh, guaranteed return, right? A preferred which, return, right? Which is it's just insane. Yeah, you know that's a it's an that's a pretty high rate. Right? To promise seven percent on billions of dollars, right? This isn't seven percent on like you know. Oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to start up a you know a, a restaurant. You know, I'm trying to get a food truck going. Can I get you know uh, twenty thousand dollars or something? No, this is seven percent on a fucking like fifty sixty billion dollars. Right, and that's honestly it's kind of visionary the way he does it because he does he does it a lot of ways well, to move the, the money of the out of fun, everyone's man. hands and of pockets. Of course, it's visionary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so you know, everyone technically is supposed to get paid based on their equity stakes, and you have to remember, external investors only have a thirty percent equity stake for every billion that they get in. Right now, that return that you get is only after money is deducted to pay for an annual seven percent return that you're supposed to get on the debt that's purchased by the external investors, right? So that 7% looks good, right? But it also, again, you know, like to get that 7% return, it reduces the return that you get on the equity stake. So this, the debt component, you know, the, uh, if, if the debt is like what, 62%, again, 62% of that 72 billion, it's almost $45 billion. Then you're, then you're looking at like a $3 billion every year that's re- taken out of the profits for the vision fund and given to, to pay, um, to pay on the coupon payments for the, uh, for the debt security. Right. And so that doesn't, ex- so that doesn't really, you know, that, 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 that's a good way for him to, lock them in and say that you're going to get stupendous returns and make them feel confident that he's has some skin in the game. But in reality, they're just funding his gambling. Right. <laughs> and this is also, you also have to pay. This 1% is the worst fee. episode of the Sopranos I've ever, <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> this is like a reverse right. bust out. Like, like he it's, went to Tony never Soprano, ends, got a bunch of money to fund his gambling and then somehow busted out Tony Soprano. What, what the fuck? <laughs> mm-hmm. It works out. Right. So you get, so now you also have to pay them a 1% fee, right. For the assets that they're managing. Right. So if it's $72 billion, that's 720 million right and then softbank also keeps 20 percent of any investment return that's over eight percent right but fucking th- those, are, those are <laughs> <laughs> these are these are also by the way these are also like 
in a in a sense generous terms in terms of like what VCs might or other funds might expect you to to shell out, right? But at the but at the end of the day, again, like they're mis uh, they're being misled, told that they're getting larger returns than in actuality, and to inflate some of the returns, what SoftBank ended up doing, right, is in the case of like the Walmart competitor Flipkart that it had, where it's in India, you sell that, right, and then you you claim those returns as a return on an investment that can then be funneled into the vision fund, right? So that when the market is sucking, right, when when there's a rally in the wrong direction, right? When there's a decline, when there's a bubble bursting, you can sell off assets, right? And then use those sales to generate an income that can then satisfy the investors so they don't try to you know, do some crazy shit to get the money back. This is, um, this is what we call a scam. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this, is, this is the grift uh, of grifts, though. I mean, this is a this is a literal like world historic grift, <laughs> right? I mean, because it's like it's devils in the details. You know, with this fund, you know, there's a lot of interesting things. Like, for example, Saudi Arabia, big, big, big investor in the SoftBank, obvious in the Vision Fund, also a huge investor in Uber, right? And Uber stock was moved into the Vision Fund as part of the 28% that SoftBank was offering to assure investors that it had some skin in the game. So if Saudi Arabia has invested almost $4 billion at that point into Uber, right? What then? And also SoftBank has invested in uh, Uber and an Uber competitor, right? DD in China. Uh, then what? what what's the real... What's the real numbers on the on the books? What's the real return that's going on, uh, and how much money should investors actually expect from that? Or and how much money should should Saudi Arabia expect on the return? Like it's not clear because of the accounting tricks that they end up having mm-hmm. to use successfully to get people to pour more. And, and, and more like money we went into in our Uber episode, I mean, the Uber's books mm-hmm. are also just filled with you know accounting tricks and just cooked to to senders, and you know, so it's like. All of these, you know, the 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 meta accounting uh, book of the Vision Fund is is cooked to mm-hmm. shit. But then also all of the books of all of the companies in the Vision Fund are also super cooked. Yeah, you know, and this is like at some point we'll go through the fucking Vision Fund portfolio. But a lot of the companies there do a lot of accounting shit that it makes it it makes it hard even after going public to figure out how much money they really make or ever going to make or if you should invest in them in the first place but you know we've done uber maybe we'll we'll <laughs> you know green sale at some at some point we can talk about that one um uh wag the the wonderful company wag even though it's uh, i don't even know if they're still alive at this point which is like a dog walking startup right yeah right i mean that's the thing too it's like and and this is something that uh you know our our, you know uh, trash future um you know they've been they've been following SoftBank for a long time too, especially you know Riley Quinn, the you know one of the hosts over there has a you know 
It has an obsession on par with Ed's obsession with SoftBank. <laughs> but it's one of these things where it's like, you know, you see SoftBank just popping up everywhere. I mean, when you've got, when you're playing with a hundred billion dollars, and that's not even all. I mean, we'll get into it, you know, later, but, you know, they've started a vision fund too, uh, which, you know, the goal is to raise an additional hundred and eight billion dollars because it's got to be bigger, right? It's number two. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're, when you're playing with that much money, uh, like when, when, when Sun announced the Vision Fund in what, like 2017, which wasn't that long ago, but it feels like, you know, yeah. forever ago, it like turned mm-hmm. the whole VC world upside down. People were losing their fucking minds um, in like the, mm-hmm. the VC world and like the tech, you know, tech economy. Because it was just like such a massive amount of money all of a sudden sloshing around. And it really is like sloshing around because he's just throwing it into like every bucket, you know, putting it everywhere, right? Like it's this like uh, investing in competitors, right? Like it's this idea of like you, you don't have to hedge a bet if you bet on everything. Right. If In fact, I think if you like combine the five biggest funds ever before – SoftBank, they were still smaller than SoftBank, right? You have like a Blackstone fund that was almost $22 billion. Apollo fund that was $18 billion. TPG fund that was $20 billion. KKR fund that was $17.5 billion. And a Goldman Sachs fund that's like $20 billion. You know, that's, that's a, I think that's a little shy of, um, I think that's a little shy of $93 billion, which was, um, yeah, and how the, much and, Vision Fund had uh, when it was fully capitalized? And, right? and Masayoshi Son just came in and just ate all their fucking lunches, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Oh God! <laughs> and and competed with a few of them. Um, mm-hmm. We're all. I mean, and there, there's a lot also to talk about someday about how you know some of the investors and or board members of companies that it invested in were also leading funds that Sun was competing against for fundraising in other uh, Silicon Valley unicorns and startups. I'm sure, that must have been fun. <laughs> but all of this is to, I guess, I guess, kind of set the stage for understanding Son as someone who's willing to gamble money uh, in ways that seem, I think, pretty risky, uh, but are usually done in ways that that worst case scenario are not going to lead him to lose like 70 billion dollars like he did in the dot-com bubble um he will lose money in the worst cases like he has here but it's never really his money because again you know with the vision fund 28 percent that he offers up is equity pure equity the 72 percent that everyone else offers up 63 percent debt um and uh 37 percent um equity right so when you when you when you look at that he owns the whole fund it's equity right and the same thing that happened again when the market was rallying he made a large options bets that people were worried would uh, blow up the market or blow up at least the tech market and blow up in his face but actually were distractions because the the companies that he invested in were companies that or the companies that he made bets on were companies that he was already invested in, right? As part of a larger strategy to earn more money for SoftBank and more room for SoftBank to get more loans later on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, Sun is really, you know, 
you kind of have to understand him as this as this Jason figure, right? Like, like you can injure oh. him, you know, you, you can knock him out of commission for a minute, but he's never gonna die. He's immortal. He always gets back up again. You know, he, his theme song is definitely some Chawamba Wamba shit, right? Like he gets knocked out and he gets <laughs> yeah. up again, <laughs> and, you, and you never go <laughs> knock him down. He's likened himself to Jesus. You know, he's yeah. he's, he's yeah, said that you know. Uh, yeah, he, he's been quoted as saying, like, just as the savior was misunderstood in his day, um, so is he, you know, he, he, and we laugh, but he might have the last laugh, you know, because I'm, I think, um, <laughs> he, I mean, he's resurrected, right? Like who comes back from a $70 billion embarrassing loss in the dot com bubble and then comes back to be like, you know, like, like, you know, he, he went back into his cave. He rested for a little while. He resurrected. <laughs> and he came back stronger than ever like who, who's done that <laughs> i think oh i mean well bezos did that right didn't bezos actually get swole after was it after the divorce divorce or before the divorce that he got swole it was it was definitely on the way divorce. to the divorce this was a pre-divorce <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was a pre-divorce i know i'm getting divorced time to get swole right <laughs> Remember, because surveillance capitalism is what made him alpha as fuck, right? As we said in that last episode, what happened was, um, what happened was he got he lost seventy billion, and then now what? He's worth two hundred billion. When after the divorce, he was sixty. Yeah, seventy. And 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 his wife Mackenzie is now also the richest woman in the world, right? So you got, and oh, that's yeah. like after the divorce, oh. right? So it's like power got, divorce couple. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a whole exactly. other thing though, too, right? Like you know, Bezos yeah. is worth two hundred billion alone. Well, isn't Mackenzie worth like you know almost a hundred billion or something like that, right? So it's like. You yeah. know, we're while we're talking about the Vision Fund is you know a hundred billion dollars. I mean, Bezos could like literally just cut his wealth in half, um, start his own Vision Fund, and still have a hundred mm-hmm. billion. You know, for walking around money. Yeah, shit. Maybe he should, man, because son's gonna come for his lunch. <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> I think that all that brings us then, uh, you know, to the Nasdaq whale thing, right? So, mm. we talked a bit about how. You have to understand that basically what SoftBank was doing was uh, it spent about $4 billion, right, on uh, options uh, to try and increase the the value of uh, holdings that it already had. Now, um, you know, backing up a bit, the Vision Fund has been suffering and has had massive losses, right, um, for the past two years. And so... Um, Son got confronted by a few investors, chief among them Elliott Management, which is a, a vulture capitalist uh, group that, you know, they're activist shareholders. So they get shares in your company and then they confront you with ultimatums to like radically restructure operations, increase returns, pay out bond deal, uh, bondholders or pay out shareholders, you know, figure out a way to make your company more profitable. By stripping it down for assets. So SoftBank, which has an insane amount of debt, you know, I, um, had in the summer about $161 billion in debt, uh, was confronted by Elliott Management and told, look, you need to uh, stop this bullshit with uh, playing around in the markets. We need you to sell $41 billion, about $41 billion of your assets, and use that to fund a buyback program 
and an investment program, right? So they bought back $23 billion of their own stock over the past half year. Um, and they also spent $10 billion investing in the public market and tech companies, right? That were also tech companies involved in the options, right? And you may recognize some of these these companies, right? Big ones that had some of the best quarters or best uh, stock market rallies, right? Amazon, Alphabet, Adobe, Navida, Tesla, DocuSign, Netflix, Microsoft, Zoom, Square, PayPal, Shopify, ServiceNow, Spotify, Paycom, Etsy, Pinduoduo, the whole economy, uh, you know, Mercado the whole Libre, tech sector. And Slack. Yeah, you know, and that's just not even all of them. That's some of them. Um, that SoftBank had $10 billion in and then left it as long along with the options left the 10 uh sold its positions as soon as the market started to wobble uh, once people found out that it was the uh, behind the rally of all these stocks right so this is important because you know as zero hedge found out zero hedge was kind of like a little bit early on this as were a few others you know um on the realization that softbank was behind this and they pointed out there was a conference call that softbank had uh, with Morgan Stanley, where they revealed that look, they were exiting their positions in the stock in the public stock market, um, and because they had made a huge return thanks to the options that they had done, um, and they also had about like fourteen billion dollars in cash in the Vision Fund that they were going to use to pay back investors with that strategy we talked about and invest in more companies, um, and that they were in a good position, feeling a lot more confident, and this is because, you know. SoftBank has done the buyback program. It has had a huge jump in its share value. But all of this has happened even though, you know, from the period of March to May, SoftBank had a nine, like nearly $9 billion loss, right? But its shares jumped 70%. You know, and reason one's the buybacks and the signals that it sent to investors that it was going to do shenanigans like this to pump up its, its uh, cash on hand, to pump up its investments, to give bigger returns for the vision fund. But the second reason was, you know, SoftBank has all this debt, hundred over $160 billion in debt, 26 billion of it is supposed to be paid back within five years with interest, right? And the interest at that time in that time period was, you know, inching towards 11%. But it had a rally because the Federal Reserve in the United States and the Bank of Japan in Japan Two major central banks for this company announced that they were going to start buying back, uh, you know, corporate bonds and junk debt, and this reduced the interest rates, the the yield rates, basically, um, um, on the bonds, so that SoftBank, you know, could breathe a little easy. Doesn't have to pay, <laughs> doesn't have to pay back a few additional uh, billion dollars, right? Um, and it doesn't have to have its like creditworthiness called into question as much as it might otherwise. Even though in Japan alone, right, it has its stock, uh, the uh, the junk debt that it has is four times bigger than like the largest mm. issuer, which is like this massive power company. Yeah, right? and this like so long, like mm-hmm. uh, SoftBank's you know poor performance. I mean, even mm-hmm. you know even Sun has said like the Vision One, you know Vision Fund One, uh, you know yeah. it, it, it's it, you know it's not a failure, but it just hasn't performed as well as you know he uh, he wanted to. But it had a lot of market and analysts and you know economic analysts saying that like you know SoftBank was moving from a world domination strategy to a survival 
strategy, right? So right. it's like that's what all this this like selling and like you know um, people you know all this debt piling up. You know, basically saying, oh, you know, I you know I think a lot of people were kind of forecasting that this was going to be you know um, s- you know Sun's next fall. You know, is that you know the the vision fund was here and then it'll it'll be gone in a flash. You know. Right. And it's also it's interesting because, you know, the Vision Fund did so bad that, you know, you remember we we talked about how Sun was only providing 28 percent of the equity, uh, namely through SoftBank and its own holdings. But things got so bad that it had to push up the equity it had in these in the fund up to, you know, 48 percent. And, you know, again, like SoftBank has lost almost 18 billion dollars in the last year. You know, nine billion of that in that last in that quarter from mid March to May, um, and the Vision Fund since 2017 when it was made has not really done good with uh, gains. Right when you when you when you look at the books on paper, it has about like 4.9 in gains on the investments and 200 in realized losses, and this is like from companies going public, right? But if you add also in paper ones on the, whether it be like the private valuations or debts that are occurred, you know. And really, when you when you sit down and tabulate it, it's it has a loss of like eight hundred million dollars, hmm. which which is like one percent of how of the eighty one billion that the fund has actually gotten to invest, right? Um, and you know, for Sun, that's uh, not bad because he'll point to like you know us being in the middle of a pandemic, but it is pretty bad considering that like uh, the fund was marketed as a 7% return, even if it wasn't honestly a 7% return, right? Now this is, and this has resulted in, you know, SoftBank having to, you know, get on the retreat, right? It has valuable stocks in Alibaba. It invested in Alibaba very, very early and has had a 26% stake in that company, right? And it's going to have, it sold some of that stake. It sold some of its uh, 20 billion of its stake in T-Mobile, which it bought, um, which it owns partially through a merger with Sprint that it owned, uh, that it, you know, it bought a controlling interest in Sprint a few years ago, and then they had a merger with T-Mobile. Um, and, you know, these moves, I think, might send a signal that SoftBank is like on the retreat and that its, its ability to cause a bubble in the larger economy is reducing. But these are moves being made by SoftBank to reconsolidate and get on sure footing so it can continue, right? Mm. To make the moves that it wants to, because the because Sun is not just trying to make money, right? Sun has like a vision for a different type of economic and social order. Yeah, for, for a different world to... economy, right? Like, right. You know, you this know? is how I've been kind of understanding the the Vision Fund. You know, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people look at it and you know they see it as like an you know it's an investment bank right like oh it's just it's just a really really capitalized investment bank but it's it's right. more than that right it's not just this investment bank um and i i think the you know getting really focused on like the you know the r the seven percent roi and like it's debt mm-hmm. holdings and things like that 
uh, kind of detracts from um, what we're really getting at, which is that, you know, Masayoshi Son has a vision, right? It's right, he has a strategy. Um, I, I, I understand the vision fund is more like a war chest um, rather than, right. you know, it's not, it's not fucking like billions, you know, the TV show where like, you yeah. know, it's like, oh, he, he, Masayoshi Son is not Axe Capital, right? He's, he's got, right. he's got bigger sites, you know, he's got bigger horizons in his sites. Um, you know, he's looking for a takeover of the global economy he's looking for a total domination of the future right like i mean it, it, it's really easy to kind of dismiss um him as this like eccentric or insane uh, person which is a, how a lot of people um really kind of frame him right is like he's he's just like this really eccentric really insane um you know person in the financial world but I think we should actually take seriously, I, I think this is something Ed and I are trying to do, is like, take serious his vision, right, and his strategy. Like, when he started the Vision Fund, didn't he talk about, like, a like a thousand-year, you know, investment strategy or something like that? Like, he's trying to yeah, look Son, so far into the future. Son has talked since, you know, some of the earliest interviews I can find with him in the 90s, he talks about... Um, how he thinks in large epochs, 40, 50 years. And, you know, usually when people talk like that, it's just bullshit that they're usually trying to sell you something. But when you push him, he talks a little bit more about, he has this sort of vision, this dream for society, right? And that a great deal of services need to be um, automated, right? But the automation, he does not envision it happening in... Uh, sort of like this is the infrastructure of daily life, public infrastructure of daily life. His goal is to have services automated and humans free to do whatever they may want to, but only after Damn, you know. Damn, it's not a communist, to... <laughs> <laughs> right? But well, well, what was it? I mean, you know, our, our late comrade Graeber used to say that capitalism is just a bad way of organizing communism. So, you know, I think. That, <laughs> uh, I think that with Son, he really wants yeah, most of the economy to exist in one way or another as a, as a outgrowth of a soft bank property. Or, and this um, connects directly to what we talked project. to David Banks about with like, you know, right. a mega company like Ali Uber, right? This kind of right. like ultra platform or, you know, what we'll get into later, um, a meta platform, right? It's the platform of platforms. Exactly. Right. We should because it's not it's not simply ask. It's not simply seeking a monopoly. Right. There's a difference between like seeking a monopoly and charging everybody for it and like literally trying to be so embedded into the daily experience that there's no that it's not even really thought of as like a, as a market transaction in the way that like, you know, when you're on the road, you don't really think about tolls as like. You, 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 the way you think about tolls is the is different than the way you might think about like a ticket to get into mm. a place, right? Uh, and it might be different than the way you think about like what you have to buy uh, to eat something, right? You you understand one is a commodity, is a good, and you think of one as like a fact of life that you have to do no matter what, and one like that you do begrudgingly, and one that like just comes with the territory of this specific vendor. And Son wants to become. Or have his, you know, have his company and his enterprise embedded in like daily life and become the thing on which you live. He thinks that this would allow human beings to flourish more fully, right? That people would be better off if they only really had to go to one place to buy things or to get 
the resources to thrive in, in leisure, right? Uh, or to learn about themselves or to develop their own skills or their, you know, their capacity as a human yeah, being. Yeah, there, there's, only, there's, only, there's only three certainties in life, taxes, death, and soft bank. Right, like right. <laughs> that's the vision right there, um, and and you know, Sun talks about uh, his strategy as a, a a quote cluster of number ones, right? So this is a you know he wants to be the monopolist of monopolies, right? He wants to own all the monopolies, um, and and that you know understanding that monopoly strategy is also important and links up to what we talked about last week in terms of like it, it's about uh, setting up. Um, systems of rent extraction as well, right? Because like right. like you were saying, right. Ed, you know, if you, if you if if every service, every fact of life is mediated by a SoftBank owned monopoly, then SoftBank is able to you know constantly kind of extract that rent, right? It becomes a sovereign thing. It becomes taxes, right? It becomes, mm-hmm. it doesn't just, it, 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 it like uh, ascends beyond being rent extraction. And it just becomes about like, you, you just paying taxes to SoftBank because that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the way life is organized. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, some at times when he talks about his vision, it is the extreme of, I think, some of the, you know, the techno-utopians, right? A lot of people who believe in a singularity, a lot of people who believe in, like, a future that's dominated by computation, I think we can safely assume are charlatans or who believe so for reasons that are more related to, like, their personal experiences and desires than, like, or more, more related, I guess, to, like, the history of their experiences than than what they act actively want for the world, right? Some ideological belief. And like Sean, unprompted, will talk at times about his belief that the the planet, for example, will become a computational machine, right? Or his belief, and, and that that is the, not only like the inevitable thing, but like a, a thing that we should desire because it would free up humans, wherever else they might be to do more things outside of strict transactions, right? Because I think, like, you know, getting into it, like when we listen to visions by like someone like Bezos, right? What does Bezos talk about in his most, like, ambitious? It's uh, a colony for Earth, or uh, space colonies for Earth, in orbit of Earth, or on other planets, while Earth itself is, like, deindustrialized but still commercial as are the colonies right and and we can imagine this world is just like you know slightly more glossy capitalist future where i think that son is actually trying to get to a post-capitalist one but a post-capitalist doesn't inevitably mean it'll be good for us right it just means that he wants to move beyond the constraints of like private production and capital accumulation yeah yeah no th- i mean you know softbank is you know, it's on some actually existing accelerationism joint, right? Like that's yeah. what it is. And then, you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned singularity and son in the, you know, that interview where, you know, he's getting top uh, on the Bloomberg stage, you know, <laughs> yeah, the cold open, one, you know, yeah. he, he's, you know, he, he's just, he's just getting, getting serviced. Um, they love him. They love him. But he talks about, you know, he talked about the singularity in that interview. But I, I, I think, you know, when now when we talk about the singularity, you know, it's about the technological singularity, the AI singularity, right? Like that point where 
uh, you know, artificial intelligence becomes more intelligent than human intelligence. And it like, you know, reaches this exponential growth period where it's just like, you know, it's constantly be that's the singularity um, in technological terms. I think of SoftBank more in terms of a um, a space-time singularity, right? The original uh -huh. singularity, which is a point um, in, uh, you know, a, a point where the gravitational field of some celestial body becomes uh, infinite, right? The, right. That, that, like, you fall off. You fall off space-time uh -huh. into uh -huh. this infinite uh -huh. gravity well. That's the singularity that SoftBank is trying to be. It's trying to be this, this you know, this point. You fall into the abyss. You fall into this gravitational well where, where space-time is stretched. It's distorted. It's weird, right? Uh -huh. you're, you're, yeah. you're falling into the black hole sun. <laughs> right, right, right. That's what SoftBank <laughs> you is. Escape. Uh -huh. that, the black uh -huh. hole Masayoshi sun. Um, um, and then, you know, I, I think that's what it's trying to set itself up in the world economy um, is as as this gravity well that everything has to orbit it until it gets so close that it just collapses into the gravity well of SoftBank. And, you know, there's a good chance, um, I think, that he might actually, you know, realize it. One of the benefits... You know, as we talk about, or as we'll talk about with, like, the being this meta platform that SoftBank has emerged, is that it escapes a lot of the scrutiny that the individual companies give are given, right? And, you know, we will correctly ascertain, or people are correctly ascertaining that, you know, Uber is not about profitability, in as in a in a in a process sense or it, as a structure, right? Like individually, maybe managers and the CEO are concerned with achieving profits, but Uber in of itself is a, is a vector, is an acceleration, is a vector for investors. Because if you're an early investor, you make a return no matter what. If you're a late investor, then you're one of the people trying to steer the ship away from the iceberg, right? But the real value of Uber is in its ability to mow down regulations that prevent it from realizing a return for early investors. That uh, its innovation is also to create hype and narrative uh, and media uh, narratives about things that it's currently invested in to further inflate their value. And it's also to make it easier for those investors' future investments mm. to make profit. Because once Uber destroys the competition, then a new one can come in and be more in line with laws or be more in line with public perceptions or be more more favorable to workers or whatever and make that money because it doesn't need to do the global um, global and you know plot to take down labor laws everywhere, but yeah, we see that connection. We'll see. We'll critique. We'll see that with Uber, and we'll see its connection also with like the Great Recession, right? And but miss also how you know similar to how the Great Recession with and this uh, this need to realize capital like a sufficient capital return led to like gig companies not see how like the larger monetary environment right uh, has allowed these massive massive charlatans and and hucksters or, or ideologues to convince people to give them loans at long you know at, at really 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 low yields or um Hmm. are long repayment periods so that they can then finance whatever project they want. And the projects are 
privatizing some con- con- uh, country's operations or public services or undermining its welfare state, yeah, or waging yeah. some large attack. Yeah, and I want to I want to emphasize a point that you just said there, and um, you know I, I, I think Reese has uh, been tar enough. Um, recently tweeted something like, you know, to, to, we have to understand that, the, that these companies are deriving assets not from production, but from speculation, right? And I think that's, uh, you know, and it's not just speculation in that financial sense that, you know, like a futures or an option or something where you're speculating on the, uh, you know, the state of the market at a certain time in the future. It's speculation in that in that more in a productive sense, in a creative sense, where it's about um, creating expectations and creating speculation as a way to then create and materialize a reality that fits with that speculation, right? It's about uh, implanting a kind of vision um, of of the world and how the world must be into people's minds. I mean, that was like, you know, we can, this has been a core part of, uh, you know, capitalism, of, of neoliberalism, right? I mean, we can see it when like, you know, old Maggie Thatcher, you know, said there is no alternative. That was about creating right. um, an expectation in people's minds that things could not be different. And that's what right. these companies are trying to do too. That's that's what the tech sector really produces. Is it? It's an expectation machine. Uh huh. And it works really well, you know, especially because then if our own political imagination is constantly attacked, right? If the people who might have ideas about how we can order the world are told to shut up constantly, and the only ones who are allowed to speak are the ones who like are committed enough to the capitalist uh, enterprise to either want to like advocate for some magical way to expand it even further into our lives, like financializing nature or turning nature into an asset as those, as some insane man was talking about at financial times. Um, or, you know, by, by, uh, figuring out ways to get enough capital so you can, so you can undermine capital entirely and so that you can push out other, other producers or other private producers or other competitors in the marketplace who provide a service. Um, the, like the, the cap, I think the cap in the search for like returns and in the, in the search for returns and given the historical tendency of capital to like have lo- less and less and less and less returns, less and less profitability, right? People get more and more desperate and it goes from production to financialization to more exotic mm-hmm. forms of financialization to like impressive and exotic combinations where you have a little bit of a real asset in the real world, but you then speculate even more on a new asset that it's touching for a little bit so that you can get more value and extract more value out of that before it collapses. What's that old old saying? It's easier to imagine soft bank communism than the end of capitalism. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. Imagine if he was a communist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, Let's get into, so we've already mentioned it a little bit, um, this idea of SoftBank as a meta platform and as uh, data assets as like, you know, the central the central form um, of platform capitalism, right? Like that, uh, you know, there, there's a really awesome article um, that I think gives a, a really uh, 
great um, but also novel analysis of SoftBank as this meta platform, as as the authors call it, by um, Nils Van Dorn and Adam Badger. And we'll throw um, links to to some of these resources in this article into the episode description. But uh, let's get into talking about pla- uh, SoftBank as this meta platform kind of continuing what we've been saying i want to i want to read um a a passage from this van dorn and badger article uh, as a way to kind of set up um our, our our discussion and further thinking about this so they say, quote, ultimately the origins of its data-driven, SoftBank's data-driven monopolistic aspirations can be traced up one level to the top tier of the rent-seeking value chain constitutive of financialized platform capitalism. This tier is the domain of what we call meta-platforms, venture capital firms and investment funds looking to exploit the network effects and synergistic possibilities that emerge when managing a large and varied portfolio of investments in platform companies and other data-centric businesses, each intent on disrupting different industries by leveraging their analytics capacities. We use the term meta-platform because the growing power of these financial institutions stems from how they effectively operate as higher-order platforms whose profits are constituted or constituted by the rents extracted every time it matches investors, including institutional investors such as pension funds and sovereign wealth funds, with tech companies looking for capital injections that will allow them to continue to scale quickly. So, right. mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, it's, you know, we, we've joked before about like, you know, the, well, half joked about the, you know, the man behind the man behind the man behind the throne kind of thing, right? Like right. we got to trace this up to the, to the top tiers of capital, and and I mean that's really what I think this analysis of SoftBank as a meta platform is is helping us do as well. It's like, you know, yeah, we, we you know we we're understanding Uber and Airbnb and WAG and you know whatever um, as these like rent extraction companies, right? Like these are these are pl- these are rentier platforms that exist in order to. F- uh, innovate new ways to extract rents from the everyday services and things of our lives. Um, but then it, it, like you trace that up to, uh, you know, uh, to the top tier and you've got SoftBank innovating ways to extract rents from the rentiers who are innovating ways to extract rents from right. us. Right. <laughs> so, right. Right. I think, I think it's, it's, you know, like one great example it's always going to be the ride hailing. I think with Uber, we have like somehow we have like one of the more perfect ways of like diving into, like you said, the platforms and the meta platforms. I mean, like as this article talks about, right? SoftBank's Vision Fund owns ninety percent of the global ride hailing market. Ninety percent, right? That that means not only do they control the monopolies in various areas, they also control. They also control competitors who may be competing against each other. And in fact, they have, right? They control, they have, they're Uber's largest investor, right? But they are also invested in DD, right? They were also invested in Ola and in Grab. I mean, they're invested in every single, and also through Uber's stake that was sold off, a little bit invested 
um, into Yandex, but they're invested into like you know every or every single market and have a bet hedged somewhere against someone, right? Mm-hmm. And this is clearly, I mean, when you think about it, right hailing is not a profitable enterprise. It is a low. It is not a global profitable enterprise. It is at best a regional or local thing that can have profits, but only if you are committed to servicing specific groups in areas and not if you're interested in providing mass transit because that's that's when they're not right or i mean they purport to be what they are really interested in like reshaping and terraforming the way that these services are provided so that it's in the softbank family right mm-hmm. in this article where he talks about the 300 year plan and they, you know he says the vision is a future where every time we use our smartphone or call a taxi or order a meal or stay in a hotel or make a payment or receive medical treatment, we will be doing so in a data transaction with a company that belongs to SoftBank families. And as Son likes to say, quote, whoever controls data controls the world, right? You don't, so Son does not really need to own every single piece of land. He doesn't need to own every single infrastructure. He does need to have a controlling interest, right, in the data that's being generated and the people who are organizing them or aggregating them in the assets and also into the imaginations of people uh, considering what to do with these data assets. Because if you can convince people that the only thing to do with a data asset is to ensure another company has to transact it with them or that they have to give it to a company to then make de- make sense of it to provide a service instead of giving it to a municipal service, instead of giving it to a state, mm-hmm. instead of giving it to any other entity, right? You've won half the battle, right? Yeah, th- And you can now the- dictate the terms. This, you know, last episode we talked about an imagined, um, half-imagined company, you know, mega (laughs) platform called Ali Uber. Um, And the reality is, is that uh, SoftBank wants to have controlling interest in Ali Uber, right? Like that's right. so that's tracing it up to that to that next level of tier. Uh, you know, so- SoftBank is not actually the one doing any. Um, providing any services or, or any technology or, or anything like that, they instead have—they're the money behind it. They're you know they have controlling interest um, in the Ali Uber in the mega platforms, right? And that and that mm-hmm. I mean that's wild because that gives them uh, you know it gives them all this power and and as you were saying it allows them to have controlling interest in competitors. So so no matter who wins. Right, they they win. <laughs> no matter who loses, they win. Um, you know, the the Van Dorn and Badger article um, also has this quote, uh, this sentence that I think just sums it up so well. They say, "quote While platforms come and go, meta platforms allocating the wealth of nations are becoming too big to fail." And that's literal, right? That's not the wealth of nations in some kind of like uh, metaphorical or, or, or literary kind of register. That's literally like they are allocating the wealth of like, you know, nations of sovereign wealth funds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and, and yeah, no, go, what was oh, I was going to say, uh, I think about it as well. Um, you know, this is essentially the infrastructure and logistics and technology version of um, like when you walk into your grocery store and five of the six brands for, uh, you know, laundry soap or whatever commodity are owned by Procter and Gamble. Right. Like, uh, right, but, right, right. So, so this is, you know, this kind of like mass conglomerate holding company 
company um, with uh, you know lots of subsidiaries and stuff like this model is not one that SoftBank created, but rather what they've yeah. done is they've taken it out of the commodity um, realm and yeah. put it into this this realm of of infrastructure, logistics, and uh, rentiership. Right. And as we talked about before, you know, as successful as this model has been in terms of getting SoftBank, ins- one, one which is important, insulating SoftBank from even the worst market conditions, right? Because as you saw, even with a tech, even with a, even with a melt up or even with a massive sell off, it still has billions of dollars in profits from that gamble that it made, right? But also, even if its investment portfolio collapses, right? Even if Uber goes under, even when WeWork, right, went under, and even when WAG went under, even when it's, or ARM, as it might sell off, is going down, right? Even when any of these individual investments suffer, SoftBank strategy allows it to enter at a point which it has a return no matter what, right? And it can then leverage that return into buying new positions in new competitors, um, or in, pre- in companies it was already invested in that were competitors to help them accelerate their, their you know, consolidation or the monopolization of a market, right? Now, there are limits to this, right? The antipode paper that we've been, you know, uh, de- talking yeah, about. Yeah, the Van Dorn and Badger paper. Right. At the end, it, invo- it talks about how within the last year, we've seen limits of this strategy, which I think also speaks to the... Um, a little bit of hope and also uh, concern. Hope in that, like, you know, Son, as much capital as he has and as much, like, strategy and effort he puts into trying to create um, a way out of the immediate constraints of capitalism and a way out of being concerned with capital returns or being concerned with investors and losses still has to answer to them, right? Yeah. And he still was able to, be, probably because he didn't anticipate it, able to have a um, significant amount of stock bought up by an activist vulture fund that stopped him from doing the risky gambles and instead selling $41 billion in assets to buy back shares and invest more money to raise more money to buy back more shares, right? This tells us that it has not escaped. It's, it's still operating within the confines of capitalism. So it hasn't managed to create that new system that he envisions, right? It, and that it will choose the shareholders and stakeholders um, over the startups, even if these companies are starting to show profitability, right? But that this is likely going to be another one of those moments for Son, which is going to push him to come up with a new strategy because... It is hard to imagine that the guy who survived the first dot-com bubble, right, and then came back with an investment vehicle where he has no skin, little skin in the game, is going to allow Elliott management to stay in the in the organization. So I would expect you to see moves to try to figure out how to push them out, if that's possible at this point, right? But mm-hmm. also figure out new can't, ways you, to create new investments. You can't constrain Masayoshi. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's gonna go Super Saiyan, right? You're gonna see it. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna see it. Look, I'm telling you, it's gonna happen because this dude, I, he's he is dangerous because there's, I think, a lot of capitalists 
are cowards in that they lack the they lack the courage and the convictions, right? If capitalists were really most capitalists have enough capital where they could seriously go about automating or trying to fund services that automate their workforces, their or, or try to replace them with contracted labor in one way or another violate pretty obscenely social contracts between um, employers and employees and also states and, and, and citizens by, you know, cannibalizing public goods and services. But all of them shirk from it, right? As bad as Amazon is, right? Amazon will respond to enough public pressure, right? And, and that is a, a sort of lever that we have on it, where even though it is hell to work inside of a warehouse, Right. And, you, and even though it is hell to get uh, thrown in there with backbreaking labor, right, when public pressure and scrutiny is applied, they will in one way or another modify the practices to the extent that they need to to prevent more public scrutiny, because that would impede their plans to monopolize. Stone is invested in a series of enterprises that are so antagonistic to the public, right, that there's not that sort of concern there. If you were concerned about what the public thinks, you would not be owning 90% of the ride-hail market. Because 90% of the ride-hail market means that you're mainly supporting gig companies who need to, by their business model, underpay workers, engage in corruption, um, skirt uh, regulations about operation and licensing and safety, right? This is a man who does not really care about that because of the ideological vision that he has and capital is just a weapon i think at that point not to Mm -hmm. like romanticize it but like for him for like truly based on the behavior that we've seen capital is a weapon for him it's a weapon to to undermine competitors as much as it is to undermine regulation as much as it is to undermine the power of shareholders and the power of market dynamics and the power of uh, typical capitalist uh, forces right to prevent him and shackle him and, and discipline him, right? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not joking when we say that Sun is really trying to transcend capitalism, right? Like, like you know, I, I like, you know, you say, I like that you how you say, and you know, the, the you know, capitalists are cowards, right? Because they are, they are slave to these venal imperatives of profit and returns, right? They are, they are ultimately shackled by uh, you know their, their their ambitions are shackled and held down they don't have the strength of will and the strength of vision to truly amanitize the eschaton to bring about on <laughs> earth that which exists in the afterlife right they not not right. like sun that's 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 what he's that's what he's really trying to do right like he is you know, I mean, he is this like uh, you know ultra capitalist you know millennia, uh, you know millenarism right where it's like you know he's trying to, to 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 hasten the 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 downfall of the current system to build up um, this new system right to and I think an important innovation of Son that may be too late to stop right is the is this ascension of the meta platform right because again even if the whole vision fund fails what has son done son has proven that wealth funds right um and institutional investors can combine forces to wage systematic attacks on a country's public sector right and cannibalize it and privatize it right Mm -hmm. in a way that was not done 
in such a that was usually not done without the collaboration of the state and of itself right that you don't like like in the 70s right in the in the in the ascension of the neo, of neoliberal logic and austerity politics right you get to privatize transportation systems and energy systems because the state is actively engaged in handing those out to private entities and today uh you know in the post great recession era you have uh instit- you have investors and venture capitalists and speculators and and financial um forces conspiring to do that without any sort without the need to con- to to talk with the state and 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 get collaboration and get contracts they just do it by pretending like they already can do it right yeah. and that is the key i think the key impact the the key legacy it has these meta platforms are here now here to stay i think until like unless we develop a serious attack plan against them and a strategy and a conceptualization of yeah i mean i was um you know i was i was talking on twitter with riley quinn of trash future and, and you know he was he was saying that it's like the, the whole thing with like uh softbank you know stoking this huge tech rally being this nasdaq whale right buying up like four billion dollars of options you know uh essentially as riley put it right it's like you get so wealthy that you can just literally name the price of your own assets right it's it's Uh like you know it's like just taking this you know massive bong rip and being like man like Uh if you think about it like money is imaginary dude it's just like like the value of money is just Uh like what you what what like what you can get people to agree it's all in your head man right it's, all in your head. <laughs> it's a social and construction that, and that's exactly what sun did right like and and, mm-hmm. and and you know talk again about like you know these these uh capitalists and and stuff being just like cowards they were quaking in their boots about this the the you know ft had an article um very recently about uh you know this this tech rally in softbank and and they had some really choice quotes from anonymous uh you know yeah. financiers <laughs> yeah and so uh-huh. they, they here's one from um a, a an anonymous derivatives focused u.s u.s hedge fund manager quote these are some of the biggest trades I've seen in 20 years of doing this. The flow is huge. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> FT is talking about, you know, these market veterans are just shocked. You know, they're, they're so nervous. Uh, here's, a, here's another one, you know. Uh, one person familiar with SoftBank's trades said it was, quote, gobbling up options on a scale that was even making some people within the organization nervous. Um, quote, people are caught with their pants down, massively short. This can th- this can continue. The well is still hungry. <laughs> so, I mean, right there, right? Like, I think it just tells you how antagonistic Sun is and how much courage of conviction he has in a really frightening way right like um i i I think we really need to underline that you know we're not trying to like gas up sun you know that yeah we're we're not like turning into this like you know we're we're not writing his hagiography and we're not gassing him up um and we don't want to set him up to be this you know uh this savior figure this jesus figure or an antichrist figure um you know uh however you might look at it he is the devil. He is. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
He's like, yeah, we we don't want to we don't want to you know create his own myth um, by talking about him um, in you know in the ways that in the way that we have. But at the same time, we we also don't want to um, you know be be the you know we don't want to be caught um, like so many analysts are um, you know essentially just saying. Oh, he's nothing, right? Like this is a flash right. in the pan. He again going back to these, uh, you know, these these kind of discourses that surround Masayoshi Son as this figure, as as like an insane person, as a, a mm-hmm. an, you know, and the an eccentric person, right? Like, yeah, or sometimes that are even like Orientalists, like that he's infantile, that he can't help spend the money, or he doesn't know right. what adults would do with the money, you know? Yeah, yeah, he's just like this irrational baby brain. You you know because he's again because he's you know not not western you know he's not a he's not a he's not a u.s hedge fund manager and so you know that's right. that's the discourse surrounding him and 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 so i i you know what we're trying to do here is again not gas him up but take him seriously as this right. gravity well right as this 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 kind of you know time space singularity in the global economy because uh-huh. he has had he has had permanent effects. You could take Son away and he has had permanent effects. He is, there are, for example, like one major effect of him has been like accelerating geo, geopolitical trends with Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia has been searching for a way to consolidate its oil revenues into an exit or into a hedge so that, you know, in the event that oil revenues start to fall, it can still maintain its relatively lavish welfare state, right? And not fall into any sort of domestic strife, right? Or domestic uh, crisis. And to do I, that, it means I like the huge idea. returns. Yeah, I like the idea of framing Saudi Arabia as a welfare state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like a welfare state if you're part of the royal well, the, family, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. So it's like their plaything. And then like for uh, some, for like men in the country, right? Um, like, like, good subs or subsidies on like energy um education and uh social security but also like you like um you'll get murdered if you're a dissident you know <laughs> and so you know you know you can't you can't have everything you know uh, that's not the world we live in and uh saudi arabia one of the ways that it's been a- or it intended to do that and i think has now been permanently opened up to it is investments into other countries tech sectors because again like one of the last great frontiers they're the one two of the major great frontiers for capital to like enclose really still public sectors like public goods and services and also nature right or the last vestiges of nature those are really and and more speculation right those are the things that are really going to get returns on your investments and for up until this period saudi arabia is not has not been able to get in on um get in on these public goods and services the way that Western partners are have. But by investing in tech companies whose value proposition is that they can supplant it and make it more efficient or whatever, it can now do what it has been locked out of doing because it's not a Western uh, entity. And it can also do it in more sleek ways. You know, we were talking with Jeremy before the show uh, about the ways in which like sports and cultural um you know staples of of places venues um teams and so forth are being bought up by golf money right and i think that's something that we should definitely return to because 
they're again like they're looking for more and more returns in ways that are more assured than like a than you know cultural stuff right mm-hmm. and that is welfare states right and that is public goods and services and you can't get there or they couldn't have gotten there without son and now that they have it's open for them it's because now like look what son was able to do because of negotiating the vision fund right and that matt and the and sort of ensuring that now other people are going to be pursuing a 45 billion dollar gift from them even when they murdered jamal khashoggi and chopped him up in the fucking embassy what did everyone do everyone who did it uh, like oh damn you know like that's crazy and i just went there <laughs> like they just mm-hmm. or they did it not in public right like son didn't show up to the conference but he still met with mbs everyone did the same fucking thing that's that's how it's going to be from now from now on he's like consolidated that geopolitical juncture and it's going to be another front that we have to worry about attacks from because he wasn't taken seriously right yeah i mean even to the point where um you know at the end of uh one of zero hedges um articles on 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 Uh softbank and the nasdaq well kind Uh of you know put into stark relief a possibility of this yeah, of how the, these market manipulations, you know, on an unprecedented scale, um, can can be manipulated for political ends too, right? So, right. Um, Zero Hedge said, right, the, the you know, quote, finally recall that it was last August when former um, New York Fed President Bill Dudley wrote an op-ed urging the Fed to crash the market to prevent another Trump re-election. Well, if his message resonated, what better time to unveil a hawkish shock than you know at the sec. Uh, September uh, Fed, you know, meeting, um, you know, the, the you know the the last one before the presidential election, because if there is one thing that in Dudley's and Trump's view could cripple his reelection chances, it is a market crash just weeks before November third, right? And so and it could happen, and it could happen, and and you know he's basically laying out this this way in which it could happen by just riding the wave caused by, mm-hmm. you know, the NASDAQ well just splashing around in the market, right? Splashing right. around yeah. in these options, you know, buying and getting and, and getting out of its bets and just, you know, again, you know, you know talk, talked about at the beginning that it's like, all right, you know, the tech sector just took a big fucking massive rail, you know, fat rail of Coke and it's, it's, right. it's juiced up, it's feeling good, right? But there's always a crash, right? There's always mm-hmm. that. There's always that come down, and the come down. You know, one is of my worst than the one come of my favorite up. ways w- that someone put it. This one dude, this one analyst was like, "The market had a good run, and like any good run, you have to rest a little bit." And it's like, "Yeah, dude, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's like the market was run. The market ran a marathon, and you know, after right. that, you know, and, and and you just you know, you got to collapse." <laughs> Perfect. Great. The visible hand of the market is just you know like. Uh, shelving up an, another few lines to to slam down before it crashes again. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, I, totally right. Like the the it's it's really you know it, it is really right. It's not a manatizing the eschaton. It's a manatizing mm-hmm. eschaton after eschaton after eschaton. Right. right. It's like this. It's mm-hmm. this. You know, we're now so used to this this. Uh, you know, this cycle of booms and bust, right? Like, oh, you know, bubbles are inevitable. There's, you know, they they come, they pop, and then another one grows. Um, but, you know, that 
we can really see SoftBank and Sun, I mean, as a figure who um, has made it through bubbles, caused bubbles, and come out the other mm-hmm. end even stronger. Um, you know, it, for, for him, bubbles, you know, the, this endless series of crises is not something to um, manage. It's something to harness, right? Like, it, it's, it's something to to it's very Nietzschean in that way of like what doesn't right, kill you right. only makes you stronger you know mm-hmm. and, and his and his willpower grows stronger um at, after every crisis right and it were and you know and that i think makes me think of uh, there's this conference um or talk about post-capitalism i remember i think it was like paul mason and yevgeny morzov and they were talking about how Post-capitalism, you know, like we talked about earlier in the show, doesn't necessarily mean like a positive thing. Post-capitalism is just like what comes after. And like, you know, I'm not one of the people who thinks like, oh, the coronavirus, the COVID is going to yield like a post-capitalist situation. But there are clearly people who want something other than capitalism that are not leftists, right? And we need, and like... They have much more power. They have much more agency. They have much more autonomy. They have much more connections, right? So what are the consequences of their moves going to be? Even if we don't break with capitalist logic, what are the short-term, medium, long-term, temporary and permanent effects of Sun with a post-capitalist vision constantly agitating the system? I think that, you know, there's, like you're talking about, and like Zero Hedge talked about, there's there's a real chance, right, that this move by him, even though it will, you know, buff up his books, you know, might crash or the market or cause like a prolonged uh, downturn that could, you know, last past the election, right? But there's also the fact that like Son, because he's trying to undermine or tweak things that undermine him or force him to do, to not be his truest self, you know, his, uh, his accelerationist uh, secret communist fifth <laughs> call himself, uh, that uh, need to go. And um, uh just because like they may be core aspects of capitalism that go does not mean they're happening on terms that are favorable for us. And we need to like, is like as long as he's not really taken seriously, as long as him and his money and other things like him are not taken seriously, I think like we're gonna miss the forest for the trees consistently, you know. And then and then we're all gonna be like in the Uber, uh, not the Ali Uber, but the SoftBank Ali Uber brought to you by SoftBank business model. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and that's really that's a that's a great way to wrap up this episode. That's our mission here is to take seriously these things, right? And to try to at least archive a real-time material analysis of real-time material situations, you know? And 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 SoftBank and Sun, um, you know, this will be a this this will be a character that uh, will will be a lasting part of TMK canon. We will return. Oh, yeah. mm. We will be returning to him again and again. We're gonna make like a creation myth of him. <laughs> he's, got, he's got like his own book, you know, a <laughs> testament. And we'll 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 be returning to SoftBank in ways that we don't even expect to, right? Because right. because their 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 money is in so many buckets. Their fingers are in so oh, many pies. Right here. Here's one thing. People the other day, or not the other day, it was like a few weeks ago. Um, I think like there's a massive oil spill at some point, right? That happened off, I forget, off the shores of, uh, off the Gulf Coast, off the American Gulf Coast, right? And people were like, oh, that's crazy. What happened? And it was like, oh, it was just, Facebook was a, 
involved. It's like, oh, that's weird. Why is Facebook, like, involved in an oil spill? <laughs> and then it's like, all right, what was the group? It was a bunch of tech companies. Okay, who who was organizing these tech companies? Oh, it's the Jupiter Commission, funded by SoftBank. Oh, okay. Nice. He rears his head again. And 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 that that will be that will be a consistent theme is oh, you know, <laughs> what's going on here? And when you look a little deeper, oh shit, this is a SoftBank joint. SoftBank. <laughs> Brought to you by SoftBank. A SoftBank backed. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been TMK. I'm Jathan here with Ed and producer Jeremy. Uh, and until next week, see ya.